hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Kindled. I'm your host Darby and this week it'll just be me again due to all the coronavirus stuff going on. It's really difficult to set up interviews for a podcast. So I hope you all can bear with me and enjoy these episodes that are just going to be me talking about what I'm learning about throughout the week. I hope you all enjoyed last week's episode where we talked about the call. We created some really beautiful wallpapers that we posted on our Instagram page and our Facebook, so make sure to follow us at Kindled Podcast on Instagram and at The Kindled Podcast on Facebook. We love to hear feedback from our new listeners, and we're just going to go ahead and jump into episode three. And let's get our fire kindled. So, as I was in prayer this past week about what episode 3 should be about, I felt led to talk about conviction versus condemnation. And I feel like during this time of quarantine and self-isolation, this is actually a really relevant topic because we are all having to keep ourselves accountable right now. Not only accountable in a spiritual sense, but in our jobs if you're working from home or even if you're still going out to work and keeping ourselves healthy and safe and basically just any that we're doing. We are having to be responsible for ourselves and stay accountable individually and personally in a way that a lot of us haven't experienced before. But I thought especially with everyone being physically separated from the church body, there's just a lot of change and a lot of different right now. And I know for me personally, it's definitely been a growth experience for my spiritual accountability. So, the Bible talks a lot about conviction and condemnation, and I wanted to kind of explore and learn about the difference between the two and what the word says about them. So, the definition of a conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion, the quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or says. And the definition of condemnation is the action of condemning someone to a punishment or the sentencing of a punishment especially death. Those two definitions illustrate two very different pictures. So I wanted to read one of perhaps the most well-known scriptures about condemnation there is. It's Romans chapter 8 verse 1. This is the King James Version. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And when I was reading the scripture and preparing for this podcast, there were two kind of key points that stuck out to me. One of them was the scripture says to them which are in Christ Jesus. So this scripture is addressing God's people who have undergone the new birth experience. They've repented of their sins, been baptized by immersion in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost as evidence in speaking in tongues. Paul here is addressing the Roman church, the believers, who, as we talked about last week, accepted the call that they received from God. So that's the audience. It's us. And the second important thing that I found about this verse is that Paul is not only addressing God's people, but those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul goes on later in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 and says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So being free from condemnation is contingent on us not walking after our flesh, not being carnally minded, but walking after the spirit and seeking after God's will. Walking after our flesh is iniquity, and iniquity is not doing the will of God. 
There's a lot of debate on what is a sin, what's not a sin, what is a heaven or hell issue, and what's not. But the Bible is clear that doing what I want instead of what God wants, doing my will instead of his, is a sin. And that in itself is pretty thought-provoking, and it definitely gets me to examine my life and how I'm living it, if I'm living it according to how God wants me to live it and what he wants me to do, or if I'm focusing on what I want and my will. But iniquity is a pretty inclusive term. And really, it's pretty black and white. There is no gray area of what God's will is and what's not. It either is the will of God or it's not. And if we choose to do something that's not of his will, that's a sin. So back to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. If we are not walking in iniquity, but we are walking after the Spirit, seeking after God's will, then we are made free from the punishment of spiritual death. The next scripture that I want to reference is John chapter 16. This is the chapter in John where Christ is telling the apostles that he's going to leave, but he also gives the promise of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. And after he tells the apostles that he will send the Comforter, in verse 8 it says, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, meaning convict the world of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment. So as we just read about in Romans chapter 8, if we have the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost convicts us in our sin. To go a little bit more in depth in this, John 16 verse 8 in the Amplified Classic Edition says, And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, which is uprightness of heart and right standing with God, and about judgment. So if you'll remember, we read at the very beginning that the definition of conviction is the quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or says. So in John 16 and 8, it says that the Holy Ghost is going to come and convince the world. It's going to convince the world of what? The Holy Ghost has come to convince the world and convince us as individuals of God's truth, of his word. We become fully persuaded that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says. God is not a liar. The devil, on the other hand, is the father of lies. So, of course, he doesn't want you to be convinced and convicted of the truth because he wants to get you to believe his lies in the hopes that we will believe them and be convinced of them instead of God's truth. He tries to tell us that we messed up and we can't fix it, that we're not worthy to ask for forgiveness, or that it's too late to ask for forgiveness. He tries to convince us that one mistake means that God will forsake us and damn us to hell, meaning, again, condemnation is a sentencing of a punishment, especially death. So he tries to convince us that there's no way we can have spiritual life, that we can be resurrected and live again with the Father. He plays mind games with us and puts emotions over us that are not our own in an attempt to make us feel like we no longer have liberty to pray, that the promises of the blessings that we've received from the Father will not actually come to pass, and on and on and on. But this is not what God says. And the enemy tries so hard to push condemnation on us in place of conviction because he knows that conviction leads to repentance and it leads to change. When we finally get a firm grasp of God's word and we believe it with all of our being and live our life accordingly, then the enemy loses. 
Which leads me to the third and final main scripture that I want to focus on for this topic, which is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, O brethren, beloved by God, we recognize and know that he has selected, chosen you, for our preaching of the glad tidings, the gospel, came to you not only in word, but also in its own inherent power and in the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction and absolute certainty on our part. We know what kind of men we proved ourselves to be among you for your good. If you read the entirety of the letter that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote to the church of the Thessalonians, you'll find numerous ways in which they explained how they've been persecuted in other areas and by other people who were not willing to receive the good news of the gospel. But the apostles shared the gospel despite all of the oppression and persecution because they were convicted by the word. They were fully convinced, as Paul says, of its own inherent power and in its truth, so much so that it needed to be shared regardless of how he would suffer because of it. Our conviction of the word is largely in part two, as Hebrews chapter four talks about, how the word is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is supernatural. It is the root of our convictions that gives us an absolute certainty. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 10 talk about how we can obtain this certainty that it really is for our good. I'm going to go ahead and read those verses in the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, You have not yet struggled and fought agonizingly against sin, nor have you yet resisted and withstood to the point of pouring out your own blood? And have you completely forgotten the divine word of appeal and encouragement in which you are reasoned with and addressed as sons? My son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage and give up and faint when ye are reproved or corrected by him, which is condemnation and what the enemy wants us to feel. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves, and he punishes, even scourges, every son whom he accepts and welcomes to his heart and cherishes. You must submit to and endure correction for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not thus train and correct and discipline? Now if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate offspring and not true sons at all. Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to them and respect them for training us. Shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the Father of spirits and so truly live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But he disciplines us for our certain good, that we may become sharers in his own holiness." It is out of God's love for us that he does not leave us in our comfort zones and move on without us. We rest assured knowing that it is certainly for our good when we receive chastisement through our convictions. Conviction and the fear of the Lord work hand in hand to help keep us in the flow and on the right path. There's an Instagram account that I follow that every day posts spiritual devotionals. It's at eternally.led if you guys want to follow her. She's great. And she posted something within the past week about the fear of the Lord. And I thought it was really profound and amazing and I wanted to share it. 
She talked about having the fear of the Lord and how that's not being afraid of God, but it's recognizing and acknowledging his deity and it's a fear of losing him. The word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but we can move ourselves away from him. When we reach a level of maturity in our relationship with the Lord where we recognize him as the almighty God, as omnipotent and omniscient, and as our only means of salvation, then we reach the point where we're willing to throw ourselves on the altar and submit to his will and his plans, not our own. I know personally that there have been many times of intense conviction during my walk with the Lord and every time afterwards I am left feeling so thankful, so humbled, and just so blessed that I serve the only living God who loves me enough to correct me when I'm wrong. That I serve a God that it's not his will that any should perish but that all should have everlasting life. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I trust in God's word and in my personal convictions to lead me to life. However, with that being said, we all reach a point in our walk with the Lord where we stop relying on the convictions of others to keep us on the right path. Your bishop's conviction, your parents' conviction, your best friend's conviction is not able to carry you through. We all reach a point of spiritual maturity where we have our own convictions and the only being that we're reliant on is God. And just to be clear, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that you should not abide by the convictions of your bishop and your spiritual authority that they choose to uphold for your church because being out of the line of submission takes you out of the flow and out of authority, which is a very scary and uncertain place to find yourself in. The Bible talks in great depths about the importance of being submitted to your spiritual authority and how physically and spiritually life-threatening it is when you're not. And the last thing I want to talk about before I go is how we can better prepare ourselves to face the enemy when he's trying to make us feel condemnation instead of conviction. One of the simplest ways in which I do this is every morning I pray for a couple of different things. And one is that I pray that God looses conviction and the fear of the Lord to fall upon me fresh and anew each and every morning. I don't ever want there to be a day go by where I'm living without those two things. Because I find that when I'm not feeling conviction and I'm not feeling the fear of the Lord, then I start to feel condemnation and I hear more of what the enemy has to say than what my God has to say. Another thing I make sure to pray every morning is found in Ephesians chapter 6. God gave us wonderful and powerful instructions on how to pray on the whole armor of God. And if I go throughout each and every one of my days with all of my armor on, then I'm ready for the battle. I'm ready for whatever the enemy tries to throw at me, and I know that I'm protected and covered. And then lastly, this is one that I just recently started doing after. In a recent online church service, Prophet Scott Shelton talked about the importance of praying and asking God for five daily miracles. So every morning before I begin my day, I pray for a miracle in my mind that that same mind that was in Christ Jesus will be in me because as we learned last episode, his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways, but I want my thoughts and my ways, my mindset to be more like his. So I pray for a miracle in my mind. I pray for a miracle in my ears that I can again learn his voice, listen for his voice, and obey his voice when I hear it. 
thus keeping me from iniquity. I pray for a miracle in my eyes, that God would give me eyes to see as he sees, that he would help me to see his plan and his purpose in every circumstance and situation that I find myself in. I pray for a miracle in my emotions, and I plead the blood over them, that my emotions might be true and that they won't hinder me from doing what I know to be true. My hyphen leader once said something that's really stuck with me, and that was that we don't go off of what we feel, but we go off of what we know meaning that a lot of the time our emotions can be very misleading. Again, we talked about earlier that the enemy can try and put emotions on us and try and make us feel things that we don't really feel in order to distract us from living how we know to live according to God's word. And finally, I ask for a miracle in my heart. I pray that God helps me through the four previous miracles to love those around me with his love and to have compassion for the lost and be moved to live according to my convictions and according to the will of the Father. Because I know that in the end, he knows what needs to be done or said to bring people into the kingdom, to give them hope and peace. Really, he knows it all and I don't. And I pray that he will help me to have a willing heart to receive whatever he has to say to me throughout that day, whatever he asks me to do, because I know that it's for my good and for the benefit of his kingdom. Convictions are, in many ways, a very individual and personal thing. It's very likely that God's will for someone else is not the same for ourselves. And while the end destination is the same, the method and means of getting us there is different for every single person. While the Bible is very clear on some instruction and some convictions that we should share as a whole as the body of Christ, there are many ways in which we have to be accountable to ourselves and accountable to God in allowing conviction to help us live according to God's will. I challenge you starting today to start examining yourself according to your convictions. Especially during this time, ask yourself if your thoughts and actions are in alignment with the word and with truth and with God's will for your life and for his kingdom. Ask yourself, is this something that brings glory to the king? Is this drawing me closer to him? Is this inviting peace or fear into my life? And seek repentance for those things that you find are out of place or out of order. And then move forward living according to your renewed conviction. I hope this week's episode blessed you and benefited you in some way. I hope this word spoke to you and continues to speak to you as you go throughout the rest of your week. And as always, I love you all and you are in my prayers. I hope that soon we'll be able to get some guests back on the show. I'm in the process of working on recording phone interviews and good stuff like that. But until then, make sure to give us your feedback and let us know what you want to hear next, what questions you might have on our Instagram and our Facebook page, and we'll get back to you. I hope you have a blessed and safe week and stay healthy in Jesus name.